the Health Buzz podcast, provided by the Curry Health Center Wellness Office. The hosts on the show are students and peer health educators. Health Buzz was made to create a safe space for the UM student body to have frank conversations about health, provide practical skills, and foster resilience and connection through lived experiences. My name is Kendall, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a senior majoring in Women, Gender, Sexuality Studies and Communication Studies. So today on our podcast, we are going to have a guest. Her name is Haley Blackburn. She is a clinical pharmacist at UM and works in the School of Pharmacy. Welcome, Haley. Thank you so much for being here with us today. So we just have a couple of questions for you with Halloween coming up and the fact that this is Substance Use Education Month for the Wellness Center, and we are hoping you can answer some questions for us. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so the first question, Haley, is what is your recommendation for someone who is prescribed medication and is deciding to go out for a drink with friends? Yeah. So I think with... As with any type of drug use, whether it's alcohol, whether it's anything, it really depends on the context of the drug use um, and, you know, how much. So, for instance, if you're going out for a drink with friends and it's just an occasional drink, maybe one with dinner or something like that, Mm -hmm. the drug-drug interactions typically with most medications that you might read on the side of a bottle that say, you know, do not use with alcohol, they might not be such a big deal. But that's also a totally different story if you're either a chronic alcohol user where you're having like three or more drinks per day on a regular basis um, and or the binge drinking sort of setting where you're potentially having many, many drinks over a short period of time. Absolutely. So those, you know, those three are entirely different scenarios. So, you know, in the scenario of I'm going to have a drink with friends or maybe several drinks, but it's not going to be anything excessive, not going to fall into the category of chronic high use or binge drinking, you certainly still want to be really careful and understand that alcohol can interact with a lot of different medications and everybody has their own kind of chemical neurotransmitter preset mode and so your friend might not have had any bad reaction with their antidepressant and alcohol but that doesn't mean that you won't interesting Um, okay so thinking about you know common common medications we might be concerned about in the setting of just a couple of drinks anything that has sedative properties so drugs like you know anti-anxiety medications, maybe they're mm-hmm. under a class called benzodiazepines. Absolutely. Those are the drugs, you know, benzos for short is sometimes what you'll hear. Those are Xanax, Valium, prescription drugs like that, that will kind of have additive and potentially like more than just the sum of alcohol effects plus the effects of those drugs. Yeah. Um, so you can potentially have this like unexpected, very sedating experience where the, the effects are ultimately end up being fairly dangerous, especially mm-hmm. if you're trying to like drive or you know then do anything that requires some sort of coordination or mental function. Other drugs that we would be concerned about with you know with small amounts of alcohol would be anything with opioids in them. So okay. painkillers, that's where we're thinking about like hydrocodone, oxycodone, yeah. all of those. Those with alcohol, you potentially worry 
about having a decrease in your overall respiratory drive or your, your body's your body's normal mechanism to keep you breathing, which is obviously problematic. That sounds really important. Yeah, yeah. it's important. It's important, <laughs> important thing. And so, so opioids are are definitely a no no if you are drinking any alcohol. There are other ones that can maybe have a little bit less predictable reactions. So for people maybe who are using Chantix or the Vareniclin, the drug to help stop smoking, sometimes yeah. that will be a drug that has kind of an, an unexpected increase in intoxication associated with alcohol and can potentially kind of cause different like, mood issues and, and those sorts of things with it, you know, that, that, that can be just one-time use, short use, that yeah. you may, might experience some of those symptoms. Okay. And I guess the... The other one, the other one I like to highlight that maybe is, or actually two more to highlight. One is not only the benzodiazepines, but other sedatives that people use for insomnia. So drugs like um, potentially Ambien. So that drug is actually already at baseline associated sometimes with people not only having impairment, like slowing reflexes, those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. but also, I don't know if you've ever heard of people having instances of sleep driving, sleep eating, doing, you know, yeah, yeah. So, so people taking Ambien, Zolpidem is the generic drug. Well, potentially go and do things and people interacting with them may see them as being totally lucid, totally normal, but the people are for all intents and purposes asleep, but doing these Mm -hmm. things. Um, So they might get in a car and drive off and go on a little sleep joy ride or whatever. And, you know, there's some part of the brain that's still functioning that allows them to do these things, but they'll wake up in the morning and have no recollection of doing this. Yeah. Combining those with alcohol increases the risk that you might have something weird like that happen. So obviously, yeah. not only you have like combined sedation and those sorts of things, but you also don't really want to increase your risk of yeah. like an am- amnesic no. joyride. Yeah, <laughs> I don't um, happen <laughs> for people. And the other thing to be careful with, with as with like any stimulants, you know, if people are taking say some stimulant medication for ADHD, Adderall, Ritalin, those types yeah, of medications. Super common. Yeah. So people um, taking those medications may also have kind of a counteract counteracting effect to the sedative effect of alcohol. And so it might mm-hmm. be easier for you to not feel as sleepy, not feel as tired as you're taking those, drink more alcohol and not have good judgment of like your overall true degree of impairment from the alcohol too. So it's not necessarily a a drug-drug interaction in the, you know, the way that we might think about it, but just a, a, something that's maybe masking some of the effects that you would normally see yeah. with alcohol. Absolutely. Um, so all of the things, I mean, I guess the bottom line, any drugs that you're on, that you're taking, you should always be really cautious with alcohol use alcohol in moderation um mm-hmm. no if if there does you know have something on the label that says use caution with alcohol talk to your pharmacist and yeah. figure out what you know get some context around okay is it that there's a low risk with chronic use of alcohol or is it a high risk if i just yeah. have a couple of drinks so yeah. pharmacists are your friends of course i'm yeah. here i'm gonna say that <laughs> yeah. um, but uh that's that's you know a really good strategy i think the other thing is 
especially if you're starting off on a new medication, mm-hmm. even if it's like an antidepressant or something like that. And yeah. Think, oh, maybe this isn't such a big deal with alcohol until you know how that drug that new drug that you're starting is going to affect you. Don't add any other substances into the mix because that, you know, then you're kind of um, have an unpredictable response and then potentially an unpredictable additive effect from the alcohol as well. So, you know, err on the side of caution. If there's ever any questions or concerns, um, talk to your pharmacist, talk to a, a, you know, a healthcare professional and kind of clarify things. Don't rely on others' experiences as the, the green light for you to use alcohol with a certain medication and yeah just kind of know your limits yeah absolutely thank you so much for answering the question Haley that was so in depth and some of those things that was that too much no that was perfect some of the things I had no idea about like the the increased risk of sleep driving driving? yeah I know (laughs) that sounds terrible yeah yeah I, I have I actually have like a friend that uh, from from college that this happened to her. Oh, she came and no. picked up other friends from the bar uh, as like, oh, I'm this the sober driver, and somebody called yeah. her. She was asleep. She had taken Ambien. Um, she was sound asleep and came and picked them up from the bar. And um, the next morning, it was like, thanks so much for the ride. No recollection. She didn't of it. No, yeah. So like the sober driver thing was a little. A little Questionable in the in the mix. I mean, it totally it totally happens, and probably more more often. Not necessarily the driving people will cook and yeah, like to get into the fridge and eat weird stuff and whatever. Um, And it probably happens more than people realize because you don't remember it the next day. So unless you have somebody that like you know uh, a partner or family member or whatever that catches you in in the act of doing it or there's some sort of evidence left behind you yeah (laughs) you might not know yeah absolutely well the next question is kind of similar but it's more general Mm -hmm. what are some common medicinal interactions that people aren't aware of so for example this came up we were talking and someone was like someone told me that you're not supposed to take allegra with grapefruit juice and we did a little bit of research we weren't sure if that was right but are there any other common medicinal interactions is that right should you not take allegra with grapefruit juice well so grapefruit is a weird one uh, that interacts with a lot of different medications potentially and even a relatively small amount of grapefruit can cause some problems Um, typically like something like Allegra is not going to be a dangerous interaction. It's something that you might have slightly lower blood concentrations of the Allegra. Um, so maybe a little bit less of an effect. Yeah. Is that going to be life threatening or whatever? No, not necessarily. But, you know, yeah. maybe if you're having grapefruit every day and taking Allegra every day and you're wondering why your Allegra is not working. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know, there you go. There are others, you know, d- different medications for cholesterol so like the statin medications certain blood pressure medications those types of drugs where you know taking grapefruit with them might actually have negative impacts as far as clinical because it's you know it's important 
maybe a little bit more important for us to manage blood pressure, manage cardiovascular risk a little bit more closely with the medications that people are taking for cholesterol, the statin medications. You can actually have a buildup of those medications that can potentially cause adverse effects. Mm-hmm. And so, it, so you know, it, it just kind of depends. Again, it's, yeah. it's the context of, um, but the, yeah, grapefruit, it is kind of a weird thing. You wouldn't necessarily expect it. Yeah. I think the other maybe drug-drug interactions that people don't necessarily appreciate uh, or we have a tendency to look at over-the-counter medications mm-hmm. in general and just kind of like, oh, they're available over-the-counter. So there's probably yeah. no issue with it. And whether it's taking a couple different supplements together or a painkiller and a supplement yeah. or whatever, or whether you're adding those on to a prescription medication, mm-hmm. that can be potentially problematic. And if you're not getting the medication by like buying it through the pharmacy where the pharmacist has access to your medication list or, yeah. you know, you're buying it from multiple different sources or something, that is where you can potentially run into problems. So I guess never mm-hmm. assume that over-the-counter drugs are safe and don't interact. Um, so it's yeah. better to ask and check. The other thing kind of as a subcategory of the over-the-counter medications that can be particularly problematic are the herbal supplements. Yeah. They're totally unregulated. And so there are good quality products out there. Certainly there are ones that you'll look on the label and you'll see that they have good manufacturing practices. There's a seal on it that kind of indicates that they've had a little bit more regulatory oversight on them. There are a lot of things out there that are available over-the-counter that have all sorts of things in there, nothing that's actually written on the label or has different mm-hmm. herbal products, whatever in there that we either don't know about because it's not written on the label, or even if we do know about some of those things in yeah. there, we might not have good information about how they interact with your medications. So okay. that's always something to be really cautious about. That's a definitely an, a gap in our knowledge in pharmacy and medicine in general is there aren't necessarily a lot of great studies out there for a lot of different herbal supplements to say, mm-hmm. oh, yes, there's definitely a drug-drug interaction here. Um, you know, there's not enough funding, not enough, you know, support or whatever for a lot of these studies yeah. to say, yes, absolutely, this is safe and effective or no way, um, don't use these together. So. We have an idea of some of those medications, but in general, that would be another broad category that I would encourage people to remember. Hey, if I'm going to take any supplement, and that includes like, sometimes we don't think about like protein shakes or, you know, those really? sorts of, yeah, I mean, so not necessarily if it is just protein, but a lot of people will be taking some sort of supplement, athletic supplement or something like that. And it's not just protein in there. It's other stuff that they've kind of mixed in different yeah. products or whatever. And so I think it's really important to look at labels, ask good questions, and like just know that that's kind of a broad class of drugs or, or herbals or whatever mm-hmm. that can potentially cause problems that you don't recognize up front. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what other drug interactions. I think there are particularly for college students, some that can be significant. So there's definitely a lot of 
question around maybe antibiotics and birth control. I don't know if you've, have you like run I've into that? Or heard about that. Okay. So that's something that, you know, has been for a while now has been a debate back and forth of, oh, do antibiotics affect the efficacy of birth control and, and does it you know, reduce or increase my chances of pregnancy if I'm using antibiotics with birth control? And that's something I think that has been a bit of a myth that has been perpetuated that really there's no good clinical evidence out there that for the majority of antibiotics, they're going to interfere with, with oral birth control medications. Okay. There are some. They're, they're the rare exception rather than the rule. Mm-hmm. But in general, the, thing, the things that I would say, just, just general wisdom, times that you would be really potentially concerned about them interfering would be if you had any severe nausea, diarrhea, something like that, that okay. with the antibiotic that yeah. you might not be absorbing the oral birth control medication as well. Yeah. I could potentially reduce your overall like blood levels of hormone that could decrease the efficacy of the birth control. The other thing that I, you know, can say with this is that if if you're worried using a backup method with contraception is never going to be yeah. a bad thing, you know, I mean, so if you want to take that Might extra precaution, yeah. yeah, recommend yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. So if you want to take that extra precaution because you're on antibiotics and you just don't want to even question it, you know, that's, that's totally reasonable, but really the majority of the evidence out there suggests that there are just a couple antibiotics that are much less commonly used. They're the rifamycins is what they're called. And mm-hmm. they're, they're drugs that um, are used for rare infections, not the, inf- the drug that you'd be taking for a sinus infection or a like strep, you know, yeah, strep or for an STI mm-hmm. or you know UTI or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's a much, much less common class of antibiotics that are really the ones that we'd say, yes, we know that this is an issue. Okay. So I think that, you know, <laughs> again, take home if you if you have any questions, again, use use your pharmacist's as resources and you know, you can do some of your own research out there. There is good information available on the internet, but always recognize the source of the information that you're looking at. So yeah. is it a Reddit thread or <laughs> or is it, you know, um, something that's from a legitimate medical resource journal, you know, yeah. Mayo Clinic, something like that, that's going to be a lot more reputable. So, you know, know your source, question, question things, and yeah, just always keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. And it sounds like be careful with grapefruits. <laughs> be careful with grapefruits. Who Grapefruit. knew? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I think in general for the majority of people, the the clinical drug interactions for probably for the most common medications that maybe college students would take maybe less you know doesn't matter. less of an issue but yeah but i think yeah carefully grapefruits they're sneaky <laughs> there you go okay so our next question is can you tell us more about the biological processes between some common recreational drugs so we were thinking this is kind of a big question you we were thinking just about kind of explaining like what different drugs like Adderall or weed Mm -hmm. or MDMA is doing to the body. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is a big question. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a fun question that is probably like 
deserves its own its own podcast. podcast. So thinking about the way that drugs work, the reason that drugs work is because we have like pre-existing receptors in our brains that these drugs will go into and bind to and interact with. And so they're working on systems that exist in our brain uh, that are there naturally. So commonly those are going to be serotonin, which is kind of like our feel-good happy neurotransmitter, uh, dopamine, which is the one that's the reward system one. So whether it's eating delicious food or, you know, like winning the lottery, whatever, that's that, that hit that you get that rush, that's dopamine. I want my um, dopamine receptors to be activated. Yeah, saturated with lottery yeah. winnings or whatever. And you also have like norepinephrine, which is kind of in your stimulating um, neurotransmitter. Um, and also you'll have potentially like in the case of cannabis, THC containing products, that's working on your endocannabinoid system, okay. which is first of all, fun to say, endocannabinoid, um, and is something that we're learning more and more about, especially with increasing prevalence of use of cannabis products um, that, uh, you know, we don't, we still don't understand as well as we probably should. Um, But that's kind of true of the brain in general. (laughs) Um, We just don't understand. Brains are weird and they're really cool. But um, a lot of these drugs, we have some idea of how they're working. But do we know exactly how and why? And, you know, no, we don't. Um, yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty um, interesting. So that's just kind of like general landscape. These are the different neurotransmitter systems we're working on. And if you're looking at different subclasses of medication, so let's say LSD, psilocybin, a, a psychedelic a substance, That is primarily working on your serotonergic, your serotonin systems. Okay. With different, they're slightly different types of receptors in your brain. Um, So uh, there are any number of serotonin subtypes and particularly with LSD and psilocybin, it's one serotonin 5-HT2A inhibitor. And, or, sorry, not inhibitor, receptor. Those are, you know, kind of that feel good. But we also, you know, it, it's more than just feel good with the psychedelics, right? Like you, you experience the full range of both emotional and sensory and whatever uh, ex- experiences associated with those changes in our brain that we still don't fully understand. Yeah. But they seem to also... Interestingly, with the psychedelics, they do have an effect in the way that our brain, you've heard of brain plasticity before. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you're a kid, you have more brain plasticity. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So your brain can kind of remodel and respond to things and rewire itself. Mm -hmm. And some of the newer research out there that we're finding with these psychedelic compounds is that they actually also result in this change at like a molecular cellular level as well as like the way that our brains wire themselves that potentially increases the plasticity of our brain so kind of shakes up that snow globe a little bit and um, potentially changes the way that our brains are wired which is really interesting and um, actually very cool because it's being explored now for treatment of depression, for treatment of addiction, for, you know, end of life, like 
studies of people with kind of major depression mm. and in end of life scenarios, all of those things. Wow. They've also had recent studies of the use of psilocybin as compared to um, a really common SSRI use okay. for of depression, so S-Italopram or Lexapro. And they've looked at that side by side um, with uh, psilocybin and have found that they're essentially have the same clinical effects. And this, you know, granted it's yeah. a short study and everything, but these drugs are, I guess, in the psychedelic class, really interesting and are kind of gaining some momentum in the medical world of things. Um, and so we're we're understanding them more, we're understanding them better. And in the meantime, we also have the recreational use. Yeah. And so I think it's that's maybe a gray area or a place that, you know, being cautious to know that just because there are medical studies supporting it in a certain, you know, certain uh, use, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should on your own use, use it in like a semi-recreational way or, or self-medicate or something because you read an article about psilocybin treating depression. Like if you have depression and if you have those sorts of symptoms, yeah. you should be seeking health Totally. you know, healthcare yeah. advice from a health professional and not trying to treat things on your, on your own. And also recognizing that these medications, because they are illegal, they're also potentially adulterated or contain substances that we yeah. don't expect to be in there. Yeah. Um, and so there's kind of a whole can of worms of like a lot of really encouraging, exciting, interesting evidence that's supporting the use of these drugs and yeah. the potential benefits, but we also need to be careful that that doesn't bleed over into people thinking that they should just totally. use them, self-medicate, whatever, yeah. and potentially do it in an unsafe way that's yeah. going to cause more harm. I mean, yeah, I think that brings up the big point of there's a lot of medical drugs that are very unsafe if they're taken recreationally yeah. without the knowledge from a doctor or being used in a controlled setting or whatever it may be. I think that's why we have pharmacies and pharmacists like you to tell us how to use these drugs that we're getting. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, we see similar things with like marijuana um, and THC products where, you know, the, the medical uses have been around for a long time. We have evidence for certain things. But people may also be using recreational marijuana and kind of self-medicating yeah. for things that ultimately sometimes marijuana can actually exacerbate certain mm-hmm. things, maybe increase anxiety, change, you know, kind of t- it can potentially like work against you if you have anxiety, depression, ADHD, those sorts of conditions that maybe make you want to take that maybe you're more likely to if you're anxious you want to use you know use some sort of cannabis product but that can ultimately kind of decrease your ability to to get treated and can increase these symptoms associated with anxiety adhd depression yeah so being being cautious with all of those things i think is important Medication, I see, I need to, I need to circle back and focus again. Speaking of ADHD, right? Uh, Focus back on just the different medication effects. So 
I think, what about more of like a stimulant? Yeah. What does that do to your body? So stimulants work in a number of different ways, but if we're thinking about like amphetamines or something, Mm -hmm. or even in the case of MDMA um, or ecstasy, that has some amphetamine-like effects. So that's where you're going to see kind of potentially increased alertness, increased blood pressure, increased feelings of energy, maybe some euphoria, those sorts of things. Those frequently will work on your dopamine system. Um, So that's like the feel good, you know, and as well as potentially your norepinephrine kind of stimulating, um, stimulating neurotransmitters. So that's where you're kind of potentially feeling that euphoria uh, when you take these medications is coming from that that dopamine mixed with that kind of enhanced alertness and, and stimulant effect. Yeah. So those in combination with other medications, you know, can potentially, if you're maybe combining a couple of those medications mm-hmm. where there's they're working both on the dopamine system or working on, you know, both in serotonin or whatever they can potentially ultimately have maybe unexpected effects. And that's that's kind of, I guess, another takeaway from this is being really cautious with any drugs that you're using and mixing them. And whether that's a yeah. prescription drug or a recreational drug or things that we don't even necessarily, like, like sometimes we don't necessarily even think of alcohol as a drug. You know? Yeah, um, it's or, been so normalized. Or nicotine or caffeine or whatever, you know, all, all of these these drugs that are, they're, they're drugs, they're just, you know, really ubiquitous in our society. So mixing drugs, whatever they might be, can always kind of result in unpredictable effects and maybe enhance enhance certain effects um, in euphoria or whatever, but can also lead to potential other associated risks yeah. using them together. Yeah, like driving while you're asleep. Like driving while you're asleep. Like driving while you're asleep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I think that there are people aren't necessarily aware of like, let's say MDMA um, works also on the serotonin system. And if you're taking like uh, an SSRI, an antidepressant, you can get a drug-drug interaction there. Ooh. You know, you want to be careful with thinking about actually, you know, another drug-drug interaction that I should mention is the use of THC and or CBD mm-hmm. is another one that kind of like the herbal products or whatever, we yeah. don't have good information. So it's so commonly used now. And we don't necessarily have great information on drug-drug interactions, especially when it's used in a combination with multiple drugs. So these are things that, you know, always always keep in the back of your mind is know your your drug, know your dose, know what to expect out of it. Um, Mm. And if there's ever any question, err on the side of caution until you, you know, understand how you might respond to a drug. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay, so I have one more question for you. Yeah. What is one sentence of advice you can give in relationship to drug or alcohol usage for students going out on Halloween? One sentence. That's all I have. (laughs) Well, it can be a couple sentences. A couple of sentences. So I think that this kind of, I think, flows from some of the stuff I was saying previously. I think that taking kind of a harm reduction approach to Halloween is really the best thing that you can do. And so 
knowing that you might be using alcohol, you might be using marijuana, other drugs, whatever it is, knowing that that's okay, we're not going to stigmatize that, but there are a lot of ways that you can do it and do it more safely. So in the same way that like alcohol, you know, you should be drinking or should be eating along with it. You should pace yourself, all of that. The same goes for any other recreational substance that you might be using. So knowing your dose, being more cautious, testing your drugs. So if you're getting drugs off of the street somewhere, making sure you're testing them for the presence of any substances that you, like fentanyl, for instance, Mm -hmm. can be in a drug that somebody tells you it's a a pressed pill of Adderall or something. You don't know what you're getting. And all of a sudden you're risking a potential drug overdose. So thinking about that, thinking about what the consequences might be if something goes wrong. So making sure we talk about in harm reduction, the drug, the set and the setting. So Mm -hmm. in a setting sense, What's going to happen if something goes wrong, if you react badly to a drug? Do you have friends around you that are going to help? Or are you on your own in a crowd somewhere where things are potentially going to go downhill really, really badly? Knowing your your kind of your mindset, where you are, what your physical capacity is going into things. And then, you know, as I said, the drug itself, making sure you know know what you're doing, know what you're taking, be more cautious and, and kind of... Uh, do whatever you can to modify the risk factors that might quickly turn a a fun time into something with some really serious consequences. So Absolutely. there are a lot of ways along that spectrum that don't have to be absolute abstinence, but you know you can you can make yourself a lot safer. So yeah, that's not a, that wasn't a one sentence no. answer, but that was I mean, some really good advice. Yeah, though. yeah. Well, I really think you know and like. Wear a jacket. That sounds like a mom thing, but like, you know, (laughs) stay warm. Yeah. Um, And uh, that's important. It is important. It's an important strategy. It's supposed Um, to be cold this weekend. It is. Yeah. So no, I think that, I think that uh, just educating, educating yourself as much as possible is always going to be the best tool. Um, Looking into things, I guess, other resources I can recommend. If you, want to learn more, if you're looking for maybe reputable sources around recreational drug use, Mm -hmm. there is an organization here on campus and then it's a national organization that is Students for Sensible Drug Policy and their whole framework is harm reduction. Um, And they have a lot of great resources on their website. The chapter here on campus also does really great work to get naloxone, which is the opioid reversal agent out into the community, um, they're doing trainings, they're doing you know, different, you can go to Open Aid Alliance, a local organization here to pick up naloxone. You can do a lot of different things to kind of do research in your community for resources that can help keep you safer as you're potentially using these substances. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Cool. That is super awesome. Yeah, I mean, so you're telling me my Reddit threads that I've been reading aren't reliable. <laughs> I know. I mean, sometimes Reddit has great information, but I would not take it as yes. um, as a equivalent to solid medical advice. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, absolutely. And I am so excited for everyone to hear all of these pieces of wisdom you have to share. <laughs>
This is Michael with the Missoula Chapter of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. We are an organization dedicated to combating the harms caused by the war on drugs. We believe in practicing harm reduction techniques for safer drug use, as well as creating and advocating for better policies and protections surrounding drug use and drug users. We are committed to providing harm reduction resources to the Missoula community. You can see our group and events on our Grizz Hub page or email us at umontana at chapters.ssdp.org or check out our website, www.cairnmontana.org. Thank you. Thank you to our podcast team, Tori, who is the editor, Alex, the Health Buzz coordinator, and I am the host today, and I'm a research and floater on the team. There will be a transcript available in the show notes. You can find Curry at Curry Health Center on all social media platforms. Till next time, you um.